I met a traveler from an antique land who said two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them on the sand half sunk a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survived stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal these words appear, My name is Ozymandias, King of Kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, in despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Today's episode. Occasionally, I, I there's a few pieces of literature here and there, some poems, some books, stuff like that, that I would love to bring up and talk about. Maybe it makes for a little bit more intellectual content. Maybe it's something a little bit more relatable. We can do our best to make it palatable for modern, you know, and applicable to your lives. Mm. That's what I would aim to do with most of the things here. But also broaden your scope. Enhance your appreciation of literature. Um, today, we've picked one of my favorite poems, uh, Ozymandias by Percy Bysshe Shelley. Hmm. First time I came on this, I came upon this poem. A lot of people are familiar with one of the lines in it, and you'll recognize it. But the poem itself, uh, I first came up across when I was in high school in literature class. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had one, and the teacher was very well, um, very well educated in this and he did a great job of taking us through it we were studying romantic poetry um, there's different ages and different eras of poetry now we are technically what's called the, in the postmodern poetry era even though I'd, I'd say we're even past that hmm. I'm not sure what the name of it is maybe neo modern no. <laughs> but so this is from the romantic era of poetry and the romantic era people tended to to very obviously to focus on romance, but there was a lot of disregard for modern empire mm. and more regard for everyday things and finding the beauty in everyday things, which is what romantics did. Mm-hmm. So what does this poem describe? Well, actually, Jared, have you heard it before? Nope. No. Even that one line? Which one line? Look upon my works, ye mighty and despair. I mean, I've heard that from you like a million times. I love saying it. <laughs> a lot of people have heard it in other places. Um, it's one of those lines that d- does tend to stand out hmm. to people in Watchmen. And hmm. uh, Alan Moore's graphic novel, one of the characters aspires to be like be like Alexander the Great. And in fact, in the graphic novel, the chapter is titled, Look on my work, see mighty in despair. Hmm. Basically, the speaker of the poem, which whenever it's a poem, we never actually say author. Mm-hmm. Um, at least in the academic language of saying things, we always refer to it as the speaker. Oh, okay. Is traveling, and we're presuming it's Egypt, of course. And he comes across a traveler who's explaining to him that way out in the desert, there's these two, this giant statue that's been broken up to the point where it just looks like a couple of legs. Mm. And there's a, not a plaque, like an inscription, there's still a broken piece of the face. And the Basically, it's saying that I am Ozymandias, at least the person in the statue, Ozymandias, king of kings. 
so it must have been a great pharaoh. Hmm. Look on my work, see mighty in despair. At the time that it was sculpted, it must have been an entire kingdom behind him. But now, as the speaker, or the traveler tells the speaker, there's nothing there. It's just the sands of the vast desert. Hmm. The poem is partially inspired, was written in 1817, and it was inspired by Percy by Shelley's own travels around the world. He went all over Spain and all that stuff despite being from Britain. Must have reached Egypt at some point. And the ruins that he's talking about are Thebes, one of the ancient Egypt's greatest cities. Um, not overtly familiar with the geography mm. of the area now. I don't know what it looks like, but I, I'm expect, I expect there were some ruins over there even today. Ozymandias is the Greek name for the pharaoh Ramses II. Mm. And basically, the poem's looking at, like, look at this guy who would, with, again, sneer of cold command, like, emperor, king of kings, the height of all ambitions, had the greatest kingdom in front of him, had Thebes, and even the sculptor understands this so well that he inscripted it properly. I am Ozymandias, king of kings. And even though it says, look on my works, there's nothing there. Mm -hmm. Because the entire kingdom has fallen to pieces and it's now gone. And so many centuries have passed that it's now been blown over by the desert so that nothing except sands stretch out to the distance. Mm -hmm. It's a very common theme in a lot of romanticism, like I mentioned, that we're not so hot on empire anymore. So this impressive stuff that Ozymandias would have created is no longer a big deal. And see, look, it's all fallen apart. It's gone now. Mm -hmm. uh, what are your thoughts? I don't know. I don't really have many. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that about you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Brings up in my mind mm -hmm. when I consider something like this as an ambition. Mm. I've certainly become a pretty ambitious person. More so recently than maybe ever before. I've always been, like I might have mentioned to you before, it's like I meme myself a little bit with this ambition. Yeah. Thing. It's like the entrepreneur stuff. <laughs> like I pretend like I'm a big deal, obviously, because it's fun. Mm -hmm. It's I recognize that I am ambitious and then I try to play off it to have some fun with it too. Yeah. I'm not, you know, I am not king of kings <laughs> yet. Maybe one day. But I also recognize I'm just a dude. And we're in a suburban house right now. Yeah. You look at someone like Ozymandias, even everything that he accomplished went to sand. And it's a nice reminder, you know, we like to talk about the downfall of materialism around you. No matter what you bring up, you can't, one, you can't take it with you when you die. Mm -hmm. And then anything that you do build up is going to fall to the sand again. Yeah, I guess that's the one thought I had is that you need something eternal that's not physical to... I don't know, I just think that's a more important thing than look upon my works. It's like, what works? Yeah. You get the desert. Because eventually that's what all the physical stuff becomes. I'm sure there's hundreds of thousands, billions of people that have mm -hmm. done amazing stuff throughout the centuries or millennia or whatever. And we forgot. Never even heard, not even forgot. Never heard of. Because well, yeah. it was so local. It's like, sure, it was large in that scale for whatever village or city at the yeah. time. But how many cities have been forgotten and never even... Yeah. Never even written down. Nothing like that. No. 
nothing. Let alone, like, this must have been pretty great things that have happened. There's it's this... like there's been billions, trillions of people in existence. And how many of them are actually historically famous? There's a Netflix series uh, by a journalist, pseudo-archaeologist named Graham Hancock. Mm-hmm. It's called Ancient Apocalypse. It goes and details the stories of these civilizations that seem to exist further before we actually thought civilizations existed. Hmm. And what the thesis of it is that they were wiped out by ancient, ancient, like, cataclysms. Hmm. Whether it was the flood that we talk about in the story of Noah's Ark or the Epic of Gilgamesh, or if it was, like, some meteor that wiped them out Mm -hmm. or asteroids. The dinosaur colony. Well, the thing is, like, we look at the story of human history and we say, up to this point, people were all just hunter-gatherers. Mm-hmm. But then we find something like Gobekli Tepe, which is, I'm not 100% sure where it is, but it is a stone kind of ruin. Mm-hmm. And what they found there was that on one of the logs, obviously it's very worn down now, but yeah. there's a, a, what is the? A sculpture? A sculpture yeah. of a lizard mm. on it, on one of these big stone pillars. And we're not talking about sculpted in, like it's not ingrained into the stone. The stone around it has been removed, which is not something that we would have thought possible for people in Wait, the hunter-gatherer stone age. I mean, like, I could chip away at this table yeah. to tr- put a lizard into it, yeah. right? Or I could shave away pieces of the table until a 3D lizard was in it. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Okay. Which is not something that we thought we had the technology to do until like centuries later hmm. or millennia even from the time that Gobekli Tepe would have been carved. Yeah. Wow. And uh, most archaeologists, they look at it and they go, yeah, no, this was just hunter-gatherers. A couple of them bored of hunter-gathering, went off into <laughs> the jungle, and then they sculpted this thing for fun. It's like, What? <laughs> we didn't even know they had this technology yeah. or that they would have figured this stuff out. But there's other stuff all around it. Like, uh, you know, for a long time, people thought that the city of Troy was a myth. Hmm. And then early 1800s, they found some ruins and they were like, oh, this actually corresponds with a lot of the Iliad. Hmm. And there's a lot of evidence that the city of Troy existed. But it's weird because if you read the Iliad, it combines the, you know, the stories of people like Agamemnon and Odysseus and the Trojan king Priam and mm-hmm. even like people like Achilles. And then partway through it, it'll say Achilles fought Ares himself, <laughs> the god of war. Yeah. And it talks about all these things. There's actually a lot of parts of the Iliad where a mist descends and sent by Athena to like stop them from fighting at one mm-hmm. point or something. So the story of the Iliad is like half myth, half people. Now, we know that, you know, it's as unlikely it is that the Greek gods existed. Troy did. People there must have. Mm. If it's ruins, that must mean that this story is at least in some part true. And there's enough reference to it throughout all of modern, well, sorry, not modern, ancient literature. And even centuries after. That it can't be that this thing never existed. Mm-hmm. There has to be some semblance of it. Even... Uh, I'm still working on this podcast, The the Green Knight, Sir Gowan and the Green Knight. In the opening things, it starts at the story of Troy. Oh, does it? It starts at Troy, 
And huh. it details what happens centuries until the fall of Rome and then the founding of <laughs> the kingdoms of, you know, the medieval world. And then it starts Arthur and his green and his knights. That's all in the Sir poem Gowan. of Sir Gawain? Yeah, it does like a few verses of like intro. Interesting. I was showing you earlier the snippet of it that goes like, and now in story stiff and strong and letters fairly writ. The oh, of yes. That is the segue between the intro that I've just described mm. and the story of Sir Gowan and the Green Knight starting up. Interesting. Yeah. How is that relevant to Sir Gowan and the Green Knight's story? Like, why is that the intro bit? Because it's setting the story for what kingdom we're in. Mm, okay. And it goes like, uh, even has one part, part where it's like rich Romulus to Rome. Because it goes from there, from the Greeks and all their empires to Rome starting up. And then to Rome going on, Rome falling. Mm -hmm. And then to Arthur and his kingdom in the day that the story starts. Hmm. But the point being is that there's evidence of lots of civilizations, not excluding Atlantis, that is ex described by Aristotle mm -hmm. and Herodotus. And the in, when it comes to Egypt, there is some evidence to suggest that the entirety of the Nile Valley used to be this fertile, lush jungle before any sands blew in there. Mm -hmm. So you can only imagine the kingdoms that would have existed in there. Yeah. And the civilizations that are lost to time underneath this giant desert. You've never been, but I've seen the Sahara Desert. Mm -hmm. It is, there's a lot of sand and it's wild to think that how much stuff is buried under here, right? Yeah, that reminds me, I think I've seen pictures of imagining like large chunks of Africa as essentially like forestry jungle and yeah. stuff like that it's pretty wild it looks pretty interesting i mean if but we think about think it like about that how did indigenous people get to the side of the planet yeah the ice age happened mm -hmm. so giant world events can change the face of the earth yeah i mean that's the whole idea of pangea yeah it used to not be multiple different continents it was just one one with an ocean behind it <laughs> So who knows what it is that could lead to the fall of a civilization or an empire. Mm -hmm. I'm not a super clear on the history of Thebes and what happened, but you know, Egypt itself has been a place that's been occupied yeah. 13 times in history at least. Yeah, and I mean, there's you know? been loads of times from what I understand that we've made technology and then essentially all the people that made it and knew how to use it and create it died or forgot what to do or something like that and never wrote anything down. So that technology was just lost. The thing that a lot of people like to bring up in this part of the conversation is, I don't know how to make an iPhone. Yeah. Yeah. So if it happened today, yeah, the hunter-gatherers would still be around. <laughs> we would not. The podcasters would be gone. Mm -hmm. oh. <laughs> <laughs> but Ozymandias, you know, civilizations can fall. Your ambitions, your accomplishments, your achievements, if they are in this material world, they can go away. So mm -hmm. what actually matters by that time is done. This might touch a little bit on uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh, snap. Remember when we talked about that movie we t recently? We talked about it. What actually matters, mm -hmm. you know, in this world of chaos and decay? It's not the things necessarily, but you do have to find something that matters. Mm -hmm. And I guess to Ozymandias at the time, having this great kingdom mattered. But even your great ambitions if they are material will be lost to sand that's generally the theme people like about it personally i tend to take a little bit more of a positive look on it a while ago 
in our group chat when we're talking about things. I always like to do like a weekly message to you guys. Because mm-hmm. I, I post the to-do list of here's what we're going to try to get done this week, however difficult it is. <laughs> and then I'll try to say, all right, here's where my state of mind is on this. And I always try to invite, you know, what's the vibe around from you guys? Mm-hmm. And I like to start with like, okay, here's the memo. Here's the date at exec so everybody sees it. What's a quote? I've done really stupid, funny ones sometimes. Where I'll be like, pull the lever, cronk <laughs> up there. But um, a while ago, I put, look upon my work, see mighty in despair. Mm-hmm. And my blurb that I wrote after that was to this effect of saying that I actually think that's a very positive thing. To me, it's not about the fact that you had this kingdom and it's all fallen apart and your material accomplishments don't matter. It's that you dared to dream, let alone accomplish this. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a huge thing because actually making something is what not a lot of people do. Yes. I've heard from multiple like successful people that the majority, the reason the majority of people never amount to anything in terms of like creating something is lack of execution. They have amazing ideas, brilliant ideas, ideas that could actually change things or, or be incredible. Yes. Loads of people have ideas. Our whole friend group has tons of ideas all the time. Oh yeah. This is the only one that's been executed. <laughs> as even as humbly as we've done it. Yeah. You know. And is yeah, regardless to the degree that the fact that you execute at all is uncommon. I suppose that is true, right? Mm-hmm. I there's I, I talked about it uh, in our first episode, is that most podcasts fail before the seventh episode mm. because people get to the seventh and they're like, well, nobody's listening to this. There's no point. Yeah. Right? I think that goes back to our earlier conversation about doing something, about why you're doing something. Yeah. In doing something for the views, well, then when you don't get views, you're not going to do it anymore or something along those lines. But your morale is going to fail with the less views you get. Like we've yes. ranged from 50 views to 2,000 views to two views. Check out our Louis C.K. episode. <laughs> Check yeah. out our Lent episode that got like, what, three, four or five views? Yeah. But the yeah. point is that like, I mean, I mentioned it before on the show. I don't care if anybody listens to this. Yeah. I'm doing it for me. It's mm-hmm. fun. <laughs> I enjoy having this record. I get a sense of satisfaction, not when I see the views go up, but when I hit submit. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's so good. And I, when I like about being part of this is being able to tell people, oh, sorry, I have to go. I have a business meeting. And then I come home and I go on Discord with you and Andres. <laughs> <laughs> That's also part of the fun of just being in a small business with your yeah, friends. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's like, hey, man, you're a CEO. Yeah, it's like worst case scenario, if we don't get anything done, I just hung out with my two friends. Yeah. All the time, which is what we did today. You know, we, we got both, some things done. We hung out and we got stuff done. Yeah, which is the best of all worlds. Yeah. What more could anybody ask? <laughs> well, in my case, a kingdom. Uh, <laughs> but I, again, it's not just about execution either, mm-hmm. right? To me, a big positive part of that is to be as ambitious and to dare to dream. When I talk to a lot of people, especially people our age, they don't even know if they can afford tomorrow. Yeah. And they are held back by this. Mm-hmm. And so they don't dare to do something mm-hmm. great or dare to step out of that yeah. because they're just thinking about, oh, what am I, should I do Mr. Noodles today? Save some. <laughs> sure. But it's like, 
how much are your everyday expenses and everyday, you know, your daily grind just to stay afloat. Mm -hmm. What parts of that are actually keeping you back from being able to drink? Mm -hmm. Here's an extreme example. In North Korea, and you can hear Yeonmi Park talk about this, people are so starved and they're starved on purpose to keep them from aspiring to anything else but yeah. food. Right? She would explain, like, the kids in North Korea, they fantasize about mountains of food. Mm -hmm. They don't fantasize about their houses and, you know, the material things. They don't even fantasize about the ethereal things at all. Yeah. Because nothing can exist except Kim, the Kim family. Yeah. And nothing can exist for you except food. Yeah, and it's, like, on those lines, she... She mentioned that it's like her and her sister had no concept of being full. Yeah. And so when you're in that state, like that's the whole thing. We've gotten to a point where, yeah, we can just pop down and go grab some dinner. We don't have to worry about that. Yes. So it leads us to thinking about other things, further things like art, science, businesses, things like that. But even now, you know, some people will look at this like, oh, that's an extreme communist regime. Mm -hmm. People look at our modern day capitalism. And if you live in a sense of poverty, something below the middle class line, you feel like you're stuck in the same North mm -hmm. Korea thing. Obviously, it's not that extreme. I'm not putting that on anybody. Well, no, it's a it's a mindset thing. It, people hate that. It's hilarious. Mindset. <laughs> Just change the way you're thinking about it, bro. Well, I mean, because people don't want to change the way they're thinking. That's true. Nobody wants to change. Yes. Change. I don't want to change. <laughs> like we were saying earlier, when you first put me into this, I was like, I don't want to do this. Yeah, way back when, I was just, hey, I'm involving you now. Yeah. And you never you told me. You didn't even say that. You just put me in the chat and started talking about the business. Yeah. And I was like, sure, whatever. I'll make a video. Yeah. I don't care. It's just a video. It's fun. And that's yeah. all I thought of it. Yeah. <laughs> but now I'm like, hmm, maybe I should build a folder structure. <laughs> and then one thing, you know, I love getting other people excited about this. Because I'm like, okay, this is going good. Yeah, yeah. Because you know? at least I'm getting people into my headspace. But, uh yeah, I mean, for the average person, it's like, well, I just want to make my next rent payment. Which is entirely reasonable. It is. It is. But consider that what is chasing this next rent payment? What are you doing next week? Mm -hmm. What are you doing this month, next year? Not just tomorrow, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that people never think ahead, but it's like, well, what are your ambitions? Do you have any? Well, I mean, thinking about it from my life, I've never, and still don't, have a five-year plan. I've heard about that for the last, like, six, seven, ten years, and it never occurred to me, I should make a five-year plan. And even though it has, I still haven't made one, because my mindset hasn't changed. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's like, sometimes we look at ambition as a very negative thing, hmm. especially in, as a critique of capitalism, we always, like, joke, greed is good. Mm. Here and so we kind of despise greed because of what it does to equality. Yeah, because I mean, with capitalism, as great as it is, it also opens that market for greed immediately. You can screw everybody and yeah. work only to your advantage and still make millions of dollars. I mean, not to get political, mm -hmm. when I think about capitalism, it always has to occur to me that like the person who invented that word was Karl Marx. Oh, right. And he invented it to, like, critique it. Yeah. And it's great that we have a word for it now, but we have to recall that this word is characterized by the person who invented it. 
and by its critique. We never say the word capitalism in a positive manner. I don't. I don't think that's necessarily true. When people are proponents of it, you know, of course there's exception. Of course mm-hmm. there's people who will say that, but there that's a response mm-hmm. to the word, right? People who are proponents of capitalism, quote unquote, tend to talk about free market and free exchange. Because what they view capitalism, again, quote unquote, is that it's actually nature. Hmm. And we enable nature by more freedom of exchange, et mm-hmm. cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I'm not, I, I try not to be political. I'm not trying to advocate for anything, but I'm just pointing out there's this distinction. Mm-hmm. The thing that nature can enable you to do through freedom is to pursue better things and mm-hmm. to pursue ambitions. It's just as natural as the elephants going to where the water is. It's just mm-hmm. as natural to the birds flying south to where the climate is better. Yeah. And in the same way there are poor and rich, there are sadly predator and prey. And some people don't make it. The mm-hmm. runt in the litter doesn't always survive. And in the same circum- way that somebody's circumstances can predispose them to being poor, somebody's circumstances can predispose them to being the runt of the litter. Mm-hmm. And as much as we as humans try to have compassion for one another and try to lift each other up, we can't fight that part of nature. Yeah. It always happens. So when we look at that and we look at the, (laughs) I think we also tend to then look at the inequality inherent in nature and go, that's evil. Hmm. And then we attach other things on it, the greed. And then we attach the capitalism, the, qualities inherent in that as well that makes people rise to the top because they're perpetuating that same thing that's also making people poor so your ambitions this look on my work see mighty is Mm -hmm. despair Mm -hmm. right not as though that's the actual line's meaning but (laughs) yeah well because it's scatman john has a line how can someone win if winning means that someone loses and I get the sentiment behind that. But it's also, there's the biblical idea that it's like God makes one person this way to exemplify this other person because they're they're both aspects of God. So he makes one person with this aspect of him to exemplify that other aspect of him. But either way, one person's rich, one person's poor, one person's crippled, one person's extremely athletic, just naturally. And to look at it as inequality is i don't know i think it's maybe the wrong way to go about it because just because you're born in one situation or born in another situation it's like why are those situations why is one better than the other i like the way paul puts it he says i have he's something along the lines of i've come to peace with both riches and poverty in that to him they were the exact same things. Look at Miyamoto Musashi. We mentioned both of these things in our Stoicast episode. Oh, did we? <laughs> I highly recommend people go back and check yeah. that out. It was one of our best ones. We have mm-hmm. an addendum coming up to discuss. Sorry, quick caveat. We have yeah. an addendum coming up to discuss uh, two Stoic concepts that we left out on mm. purpose, actually. Uh, you might have not have been aware of it at the time. <laughs> Amor fati, memento mori. Mm. Oh. But part of what we're talking about today is Amor fati. Mm. What's right. Amor Fati? I Love your fate. Ah, It's yeah, not yeah. just what happens to mm-hmm. you. Part of your fate is your circumstance. Yeah. 
as Ryan Holiday says, and probably other people, is the obstacle is the way. Or was that Marcus Aurelius that he's quoting there? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, your circumstances are designated. I always love to say the line, only you can be you. Yeah. I think that's the thing when it comes to Amor Fati, is to actually do it. It's like, why is it better that somebody's in a rich castle with billions? I think I, I was listening to another podcast and I really liked the way they put it. They're like, if I was insanely rich, I wouldn't be any different. Yeah. And the, the reason he said that is like, if I owned a mansion, dude, that's a lot of responsibility and time I had to put into upkeep. <laughs> I'll tell my story. I'll, I'll tell my, my favorite story. Mm-hmm. Alexander the Great, mm-hmm. walking with his homies in Greece. <laughs> And they meet a beggar on the side of the road. And Alexander's like, you know what? I have all the power and riches in the world. Let me see what I can offer this beggar. And he walks up to him and says, my friend, I can give you whatever you like. Riches, women, power, home, anything. Let me elevate you. And the beggar, Diogenes, says, that's great. Can you step a little bit to the left? You're kind of in my son. <laughs> because the beggar was Diogenes. Yeah. Who was, again, that ph- hobo philosopher. Yeah. Um, one of our favorite characters. He's so funny. Dude, but... I love... I thought of this a while ago. I probably mentioned it on the podcast, well, but... Hang on. Let me finish yeah. the story. So, Alexander walks away from this guy, and his friends are laughing. They think it's hilarious. They're mocking the beggar. He's like, what a silly old man to have the king of kings come over to you and offer you anything in the world. And you could ask for anything in the world, and this silly, crazy person doesn't ask for anything. <laughs> but then Alexander stops them and says... If I was not Alexander, I would be Diogenes. <laughs> because I am comfortable being rich, and I would be comfortable being poor, because I'm secure in being who I am. And only I could be who I am. Yeah. Love your fate. Mm-hmm. I kind of think about it in the reverse sometimes. Um, I kind of told this a little bit before, but when I was younger, even just recently, I was a lot more on that Epicurean side. Uh, practicing the addendum to the offshoot of hedonism hedonism very common actually today looking after pleasure maximizing your pleasure epicurus epicurus the philosopher kind of stepped it up a little bit he said well we're not always factoring in the morning after to our pleasure Mm. you know when you are drinking with your friends when you're eating a bunch of food when you're making all these decisions just for the thrill of the moment you also have to factor in that part of your overall pleasure is in waking up hungover and having to apologize to people for what you've done <laughs> and the sicknesses you contract from God knows what throwing up from eating way too much or gaining mm. a bunch of weight that just ruins your health and so Epicurus goes there's actually the maximal pleasure is in contentness in the moment mm-hmm. and not seeking after way too much material the real pleasure is in sitting down to eat a little food with good friends rather yeah. than a bunch of food with people that you don't care yeah. about so I was like that for a long time. I was trying to practice contentment, uh, a love of, you know, just the wisdom, the modern things. And then at one point, you know, more recently, getting older, I'm like, let me try to meet some of my ambitions. And I came across that story and I was like, what about it in the reverse? I have been Diogenes. If I was not Diogenes, could I be Alexander? Mm-hmm. Could I go and be king of kings? If I was just a guy who had spent all this time practicing the small thing and being happy with the small things. And I am still happy with the small things as Alexander would have been. But 
why should that stop me from seeking things that are greater? Mm-hmm. And if you think about that in the long term, you could be happy as a rich man. And if you embrace that, you could be happy as a poor man. Mm-hmm. But if you are looking after other people, if you have a family depending on you, it's not about your riches anymore. Yeah. It's the riches of your family. Mm-hmm. So if at some point in the future you want a family, you can't be Diogenes. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he did not have a family. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if there were some Diogenes babies running around, but you know, it doesn't mean that ambition is a bad thing Mm -hmm. because sometimes that ambition is just seeking to build something for the people around you or to do good for them. I mean, think of it. Who had the ambition to start a construction company, hire a bunch of workers and build this house? That's awesome. And this table and these chairs yeah, and that cabinet, this camera, these mics. Chance's dad. There you go. He does. He built these mics. Well, no, he (laughs) built houses. He builds houses. Yeah. So in company. Isn't that pretty mm-hmm. cool? Which I, I love hearing these like stories of entrepreneurial success. It's people who went out and met those ambitions. Yeah. And there's also a lot of stories of failure of people who dared to dream. It's probably the majority. <laughs> <laughs> and on beside the statue, sand. There you go. It happens. <laughs> it happened to Ozymandias. There you go. It's like whether it's sand now or whether it's sand in a thousand years is no different. Why not be Epicurean in the middle and enjoy the bit that's not sand? There you go. It's like whether you build a castle and it turns to sand or whether you just live with your sand. But whether you are seeking to build up a kingdom or just seeking to do well for your family, that does require you to think long term. Yeah. To dare to dream about things, right? To set goals and meet them. Mm -hmm. Of course, we talked about this a little bit before, too. You start with the dream. Mm-hmm. You have to dream first. You have to have the idea. You have to have the idea. You have to have. I don't even want to say desire because again, we can't. We. Sorry, I'm just trying to adjust this. Yeah. It's a really cheap piece of wire that dictates whether or not we hear in both ears. <laughs> I don't even really want to say desire because desire is something that we also associate with material, like just wanting yeah. more pleasure, right? But you do have to want. You have to want because that's what's going to get you there it's going to get you started mm-hmm. because the dream the desire the want forces you if you are actually going to get anything done to turn that into a milestone that you want to meet to turn the steps to the milestones into goals mm-hmm. to turn the goals into smaller items to turn those items into actionable things and now now you have a set a path that you can actually get started on walking towards whether you're trying to lose weight and get healthy or build your business, mm-hmm. or excel your career, or meet someone and start a good social life, or any of these things. You have to start somewhere, and then if you don't have that, you get caught in the, what am I doing tomorrow, and that's it. Mm-hmm. No five-year plan. <laughs> <laughs> what is your dream that you would have a five-year plan for? To be post-production manager at the Forest Creek. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're here now, Yeah. but what does that mean? I think big dreams for mine would be starting a family. That'd be pretty great. Having a solid, multiple streams of income. But I think beyond all that, which I think leads toward all that, is as Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. So honestly, what I've been thinking about a lot more is that I want wisdom and to be more wise and to be closer to God, to pray more, that whole thing. And I was reading that book, The Ruthless, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Yeah. And one of the things he pointed out that was a huge takeaway for me 
was that the point of reading the Bible and praying and spirituality is not to be spiritual, which is how I always thought of it. Oh, I want to pray more so I can be a guy that prays. Yeah. But it's to get closer to God, to seek first the kingdom of God. But here's the thing is that when you're talking about this stuff, it sounds ethereal. It doesn't sound like a reality. Yeah, that's the tough part because... What does that actually make you in five years? Exactly. I don't know. Because you can still be here and wise. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. There's no specific thing. There's like paths go... Essentially a wise person. Like when I read Vagabond and I see Miyamoto Musashi and I see Takuan or I read the Bible, I think about Paul. It's going from... Where you inspired I am all these hobos, man. Okay. Yeah, man. When I look at Diogenes, I just think that's who I want to be. I want to see my One bowl. Pots. Yeah. I want to have my bowl in my pot. Yeah. See a kid cup his hands and drink water and go, why do I need this bowl? <laughs> um, but yeah, because if I want to get fit and have a good body, I can look up bodybuilding routines. I can look up dietary plans and I can see a, I have a goal. I can see the goal, I can look up pictures of the goal, and I can find paths to get there. But when it comes to wisdom, it is more ethereal and esoteric. But there are examples, like Alexander the Great. It's like, he was a wise person. Jesus was a wise person. Paul was a wise person. Um, I don't know, Takuan was a wise person. We don't, we don't hear a lot about middle class people who are wise philosophers now. I mean, that's unfortunate. Yeah, you're either extremely rich or extremely poor. You're either the king Russell. of kings or a beggar <laughs> on the side of the street. I, there you go. I aspire to be the in-between. You're a Roman emperor or a, a vagabond. <laughs> like I'll be the in-between. There you, I, go. you know what? That's the thing is that, again, I'll point out, sometimes the dream you can just dream is, I would like my own house. Yeah. You know what? That's, that's, that's not a bad shoot, dream. That's Hank Hill. Hank Hill. There's an episode where he Hank looks Hill. out. He's talking to Luann. He's like, nobody appreciates the guy who mows his lawn. <laughs> it's like, listen, he keeps that lawn clean so that the whole neighborhood looks good. Because if his house looks good and you take care of your house and your neighbor takes care of their house, then your whole street looks good. And there's more to it than just looking good. But you know. That benevolent, simple idea has become the root of founding of so many cultish homeowners associations <laughs> but they have a point you know mm-hmm. it's like you do these little things you, you have to have a lawn yeah you have to have a house you have to have a, a lawnmower to do all these things mm. to be that person and that was the american dream is that yeah you can have all this stuff and it can be yours yeah and it can be your family's and you can give the house to your children mm-hmm. when you're gone right which is again Sometimes the dream doesn't even have to be for you. No. That was a big thing I learned recently with the story of David and Solomon. Oh, interesting. King David from the Old Testament, he wanted to build a temple for God. And essentially God said, you're not going to build it. Your son's going to build it. Yeah. And so David built up riches and wealth and resources for Solomon. Something like that. And then Solomon... He did his own thing, and he partnered with other people, and other people gave him more resources and riches and wealth. But then there was, before all that, there was Solomon had, um, I don't know, a prophecy given to him from God, saying, if you want any one thing, tell me, and I will give it to you. And he asked for wisdom. And he says, because any man who is going to rule your people 
needs the utmost wisdom because that's a difficult task. And then God said, because you asked for this, I will also give you the things you didn't ask for. Fame, wealth, all the other stuff that goes along with it. And he did. Mm -hmm. And then Solomon built the temple based on that. But that was the point being, David didn't work for himself. He worked so that Solomon could do something. There's a point here to be made that when you get started on the path to trying to achieve your dream, to make it come true, to try to meet your goals and, you know, see that your kingdom is built. Mm -hmm. Inevitably, if you do not acquire wisdom, you will see it go to sand in your lifetime. Yeah. We're not talking about Thebes that was in sand centuries after Ozymandias, probably. We're talking about, like, now, if you want your business to succeed, if you want your house to be in order. Yeah. Wisdom is what you need above all. Mm-hmm. No, whether it is you wish to exist in contentness or you wish to seek your ambitions wisdom along the way there's this beautiful one of the stories that leads up to the story of Troy and the Iliad and its battles is that the gods are having a wedding hmm. they're marrying uh, the father and mother of who would of Achilles who would come later and during that wedding an apple of discord is, is introduced and the game is to get Zeus to give this apple to either Athena, his daughter, Hera, his wife, or Aphrodite, the queen of beauty. And he says, give this apple to the most beautiful one. The obvious choice would be Aphrodite if we were just looking at, like, literally the goddess of beauty. Mm-hmm. But what, are you not going to give it to your wife and daughter? <laughs> Hera, the queen yeah. of, like, all empire. And then Athena, the symbol of literal wisdom mm-hmm. in Greek mythology, right? So he's like, all right, I, I'm going to delegate this. Hermes, go find some rando in the hillside. Give him the apple and let him make this decision. <laughs> so that's actually Paris of Troy. Mm-hmm. Um, Paris, Hermes goes and finds Paris of Troy, who was at the time, you know, living in exile. He didn't yet know that he was the prince. And Hermes says, here's an apple. Pick a god. Goddess, rather. <laughs> so... Hera comes and she says, I can be, if you give it to me, I will grant you empire. I will make you king above all. You will have great kingdoms and your legacy will last forever, as empire does. Athena said, if you give it to me, I will give you the wisdom to do that and Mm. prevail over any other problem. It's like wisdom would have been a great choice. (laughs) When I look back at it, the thing that got Paris in the end, unfortunately, is Aphrodite came over to him and says, I can't give you any of that, but check this out. And she opens up a little clamshell and shows him a vision of Helen of Troy. (laughs) The most beautiful woman ever to exist. And, you know, Paris is like, he thinks he's in a dream. Mm -hmm. So he gives it to her. (laughs) When I think back at it, it's like, man, the greatest of those three choices might have been Athena. Mm -hmm. To have that wisdom. You know, because if that wisdom can make you great enough to get the same empires that Hera is offering, maybe it can make you worthy of the love of someone like Helen of Troy, mm-hmm. you know, or greater. Yeah. You know, I mean, one thing I always found very fascinating about the Iliad, Odysseus never cared about Helen. <laughs> all these guys out there was he was just, like all these people, like, even in the story where they're deciding who is going to get to marry Helen. Mm-hmm who was at the time, you know, a daughter of King Agamemnon, you know. 
Who is gonna, because we don't want a whole war to get started here. Or sorry, she wasn't the daughter of Agamemnon. Again, most beautiful woman in all of Greece. Yeah. And all these kings and princes are lining up. Mm-hmm. And whoever I don't give it to is gonna start a war with it, the guy who does <laughs> have her. It's gonna be a mess. And Odysseus comes in, he actually presents as like, just have them draw lots for it. Mm. And in return for my wise advice, don't even give me Helen. <laughs> I want, I'm in love with this other girl. Mm-hmm. I'm content with that. And we look at Odysseus, he's like, one of the most conniving, scheming guys that there is in Greek myth. But he makes the odd choice of being content with the woman that he is in love mm-hmm. with. Not going after this extreme beauty. Yeah. Right? Or even the extreme power that would come with it. Mm-hmm. Just a fascinating little take on, like, again, wisdom, knowledge. These things will propel you to empire far greater than your circumstances and means can. Yeah, and it's outlined even in the first couple chapters of Proverbs. Because Solomon, I think he wrote most of Proverbs, if not all of them. And one of the first things he said is that, Seek wisdom, for it is better than diamonds and gold and rubies and sapphires and all these riches. It is better than all these things combined. Not just because it can help you get those things, but because it can help you know their value mm-hmm. and their value in contrast to everything else in your life. Who was the Stoic? I think it was Seneca or something. That was... Because uh, I think he was the one that was essentially a slave amongst a bunch of rich Epictetus. people. Epictetus. And somebody asked him, like, how how do you feel about this? Essentially, you're, you're so poor and a slave amongst all these rich people. And he said, I know what's enough. I have an idea of what enough is. That was actually uh, another writer who was looking at who's the owner of Playboy. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, he was uh, just a couple of journalists, writers. They were standing on the street looking up at like the Playboy guy's penthouse and mm-hmm. building and all this stuff and being like, wow, he has a lot. And the other writer goes, eh, it's not that much. Because <laughs> I know what's enough. Mm-hmm. That's better than anything up there. Because knowing what's enough, I have enough. Yeah. Yeah. And the wisdom, you know, it's one of these things, it's one of these academic sounding pursuits, like philosophy in general, that sounds like it's reserved for the people of means. You have to not be starving to crack the book open. Yeah. That's true. To some great degree, that's true. But what's funny is that a lot of people pursuing wisdom starve on purpose. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. <laughs> you know? We talked about fasting a lot in the cast, like mm-hmm. the spiritual elevation of that. And yeah. Also just the, hey, the monks in any kind of monastery, in most kinds of religions, ascetics, they go, well, it's not the matter. It's not the material. It's not the kingdoms. Mm-hmm. And I will starve because I want to, because it'll help me keep the things in my mind. Yeah. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in general, wisdom, your kingdoms will turn to sand. All of them do. And you can still dare to dream to have a kingdom. And you can dare to dream to have everything in between. Whether it is your next meal, or whether it is a nice house, a family, a greater, fitter person for yourself, or even enough wealth to take care of your family. Anything. Business, personal, and everything in between. There is one more great quote. You know, it's kind of in line with 
look upon my work, see mighty in despair. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alexander the Great again. There are so many worlds, and I have not even conquered one. In the same way that I look at, look upon ye my my work, see mighty in despair. <clears throat> in the same way I look upon that in a positive way, I look on that. It's interesting because it sounds crazy and ambitious. It's like mm-hmm. you haven't conquered one entire world. <laughs> what? <laughs> and you're still like, oh, I want to get all of them. It's a humbling expression. Mm-hmm. It's humbling to see like I haven't even seen past this horizon. I have I haven't even like left my town. Mm-hmm. I have never left the con- the borders of this country. I have not even conquered one world. I haven't seen its edge. And there's an infinite amount of them out there. So it's like, well, you don't need to get all the worlds. What is one that you can conquer? Mm-hmm. What is whether it is your own desire or whether it is meeting one goal? whether it is succeeding with one business idea. I am Raf, podcaster of podcasters. (laughs) Listen to my show, Ye Mighty and Despair. You can do that at The Forest Creek on Instagram and Spotify are our favorite places to be. We're also on YouTube.com slash at The Real Forest Creek, a number of other social media platforms and RSS feed places, podcasting platforms. We have our business is starting to pull together here. Whoa. We're looking at doing our soft launch soon, which means we'll be open to offer services to all you lovely people out there who are trying to start businesses or meet some of your goals or just see your dreams come true. And we're we'd be happy to help tell you your story and help you make those dreams come true. At the Forest Creek Media Productions, you can reach out to us at Creek at gmail.com. Wow, look at that. He's picking it up. Nailed it. The amount of times that we've sat and done that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Creek at gmail.com. You're also welcome to drop us a comment or send us any, any mail. Just tell us what you think about the show. Tell us what you'd like to hear us talk about or any kind of contact at all. But uh, if, that, if writing is a little much for you, we also appreciate hitting that like button. Whoa. Hitting the follow, the share, the subscribe. Especially this year. I would love to, you know, kind of expand a little bit. Hmm. You know, reach a few more people. I don't care about thousands of viewers, but it'd be nice to have a club. Nice to have a little group of people here just hanging out. Hmm. We'll have to hang out with more. That's it. I will probably try to sell you something in the future, but <laughs> for now, supplements. some friends would be nice. Buy some athletic... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> At the Forest Creek, like I said, your podcasting and social media platforms, theforestcreek at gmail.com. If you want to talk to us about media productions, look up on my work, see Mighty and 